You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. And I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Alex Lloyd. And I don't know, I don't even know how to introduce you, Alex. We want to talk about... Weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> we, we met, I met Alex about 15 months ago, 16 months ago. And just, it really has kind of changed my life kind of doing the things that we've been doing the last year or so in terms of just seeking healing healing and wholeness and good health. But you said something one time, Alex, in a conversation, maybe on a podcast of yours, about speaking to your children, the ratio of positive to negative interactions is critical. And it's kind of struck with me, stuck with me. And I said, hey, Bonnie, we got to have him on. And so, um, will you just tell our listeners a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, and we'll just jump right in. Yeah, I'll try. And, and first of all, thank you so much for having me, Renee and Bonnie. And you are both very special people to me. And um, I'm honored to be here. And um, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, um, I started my life in ministry. That was my undergraduate degree. And I did that full time for 10 years um, in, uh, I think, three different uh, congregation churches. And then um, my wife, uh, we found out, was um, clinically depressed, uh, severely depressed, and nothing worked. The medications didn't work. The counseling uh, didn't really work as far as lessening the depression. And we, we both believed that, it, that God did not intend for her to live the rest of her life that way. So um, I went back to graduate school, um, not really as a career path, but to try to become an expert in depression for my wife. And um, I traveled all over the world, uh, for 12 years, any anyone that had someone new, something new about depression or anxiety, I would go um, and uh, met a lot of good people, found some good things, but nothing helped her depression, at least not more than the side effects of, of it. And um, I was on an airplane in uh, 2001 coming home from Los Angeles and uh, had uh, what I believe was a spiritual experience. And um, I've never had anything like that before or since. The only It's the only time in my life I've had that type of thing happen. And so for three hours, I took dictation, basically. And um, when I got home, did it on uh, my wife, Hope. And her depression was gone in 45 minutes. It came back. Uh, by the time she had done this thing that I wrote down on the airplane um, for three weeks, it was gone and has never come back. And that was 2001. And um, so I was out of graduate school doing pretty mainstream counseling and therapy when this happened. And then after that, I basically, um, it was a very difficult decision because I just spent basically five years in back in school working two, sometimes three jobs at the same time. We had a young child at the time. It was very difficult. And now we were finally doing good financially. And I was about to start everything over again in our basement with little money uh, because we were convinced it worked better. And I've been on that path since. And it is uh, uh, what, I, what, what happened on the plane would be called energy psychology today. 
or energy medicine, um, which was uh, almost unheard of at that time. But now today, I believe for the past like almost 10 years, it's been the fastest growing area in both health and psychology. So it's, it's a new area, but it's one that's growing pretty rapidly. So hang on, let's unpack that energy psychology and energy medicine concept, because a lot of our listeners probably aren't familiar with that. Alex, you wrote a book called The Memory Code, and in it, you talk about energy medicine. So I just want to sort of say what that is, that it's based on the recognition that everything is made of energy. Beneath everything we can sense and measure, there's this kind of underlying energy pattern creating it that has a particular energy frequency. Sounds real science-y. But hang on a second. It's not just our physical bodies, but our thoughts have energy, our feelings have energy, and our experiences have energy. So an energy medicine or energy psychology simply means using, adjusting, and changing the energy at the root of any human problem, whether it's emotional, intellectual, physical, spiritual, or all of those, so we can create a positive effect. And probably you're thinking, well, I've never heard of that, but you actually have. You might not call it energy medicine, but CT scans, MRIs, lithotripsy for kidney stones, all that kind of stuff are all energy medicine. Right. And I've heard you say, Alex, that 20 years ago when you started doing this, it was considered way outside the mainstream. Um, and you live in the Nashville area and people in Nashville were not really interested in hearing about what you did. But now... People lean in. They're interested. The word energy is is um, kind of a a word that's a lot more common these days. Um, but something I've heard you say again and again about energy medicine, energy psychology, your particular area, is that one of the reasons it's one of the fastest growing areas in all of health is because it works, it's cheap, and there are no side effects. So the results of your, everything that happened on the plane and the things that you started since um, resulted in, gosh, not only all of the um, tangential business kind of things that you do, but but three main books is what I want to mention and make sure our audience um, has heard of. One is The Healing Code. That was the first, right? Then The Love Code. And then um, this one that I have here, The Memory Code. These are... Yeah like best selling books. Like Bonnie and I are authors. We've sold some books. Mm -hmm. These books sell around the world, around like almost all the countries, right, Alex? I know you don't want to say this, but we're going to make you say it. Like how many countries are these books in? Um, all that. Uh, 50 states and, and uh, it's 30 languages. And I think it's about 42 countries that the books are in. And you've been on NBC, ABC, CBS, <laughs> Fox, PBS. Like you're not just some weird guy in the basement. I just want to. <laughs> well, yeah, I am. I am. Mom. <laughs> I am. But 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 I forgot to answer Renee's question. Let me let me go back to that. Enough of this stuff about me. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. A couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, parenting is that really the science, and this goes back 60, 70 years is that a child growing up needs approximately 10 positives for every one negative in order to be balanced and well-adjusted psychologically when they become an adult. What the research shows though, is the average kid gets about 10 negatives to every one positive. And if you just think about that, it makes sense. Don't put that in your mouth. Stop that. Don't go there. Wait. I mean, it's just, it's constant with our children. And, and it's not necessarily that we're mean or, 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 or trying to parent them badly. I don't think that's the case. I think most people do their best in parenting, but um, most of us do what happened to us when we grew up. And when we grew up, that's what we were getting was a 10 to one negative. And then to go a little further with that, some later research, and this is in the last like 15 years, adults need a five to one ratio. And most adults don't get a five to one positive ratio. They get more negative than that. 
And then the other two statistics I'll bring up and then be quiet is, um, and I believe both of these were in uh, Scientific American, one of the top American psychological journals, uh, peer-reviewed journal, um, that 50% of what we think is true about our lives just from our memory is wrong. 50%. And what is typically wrong is the conclusion. It's not, or the therefore. It's not what actually happened. It's, okay, because this happened, therefore, this in the rest of my life. Well, the therefore is usually a negative and almost always wrong. It, that may be what happened, but that doesn't mean you're worthless or have to you know, beware of women or men or, or whatever for the rest of your life. That's just simply not the case. And then the other one that I think was another study published in Scientific American in the last probably um, 10 years was that the average person at any given time leans approximately 80% to the negative. That glass half full, glass half empty thing the average person in the world, according to the research, leans 80%, not half, to the negative about whatever it is at any given time. So those are some kind of genetic and passed down things that all of us have to deal with, only most people don't think they have to deal with that. They don't think that way. They just think, well, I was raised the way I was raised and my parents were pretty decent. So, you know, but that's not true. Uh, parents, even with the best of intentions, sometimes end up programming their kids with too much negative, um, things that are, are, are not, not enough positive and things that confuse them as, as far as their identity and worth and who they are as a person. So um, those are some of the biggest hurdles we have, I think, in the area of parenting. And uh, the one I'll add to that is that um, um, I recently saw an interview with one of the top medical doctors, surgeons in the entire world and everyone would know his name if I said it. He ran for president uh, recently. And, um, and uh, anyway, what he was saying is that we can now prove that years ago we thought it was a theory, but now we have the studies, now we have the science, now we have the evidence. If a child watches or watches screens on their phone, iPad, whatever, or does social media for three hours in a day, it lights up all their anger and rage centers in their brain. And, uh, and this particular doctor was sharing on this national television interview that this is one of the biggest things affecting the entire world today is that the younger generation that grew up with social and screens in a way that the three of us didn't, um, almost all of them are angry, depressed, anxiety, loneliness. Um, uh, they're buying into this cancel culture junk. They're buying into, you know, all the, all the, the social unrest, it's like we don't disagree anymore. We hate each other if we disagree. We can't disagree and still be friends. We hate each other if we have a difference of opinion. And that's been a recent development with, with social and with the, the screen stuff and all that. So those are the biggest hurdles I know of um, in parenting today. Okay, okay, so I have a so, question based on that. Me too. Um, <laughs> me too. Okay, you go first. You go first. I'll All go right. Next. So you're 10 to 1 positive and the 5 to 1 positive that adults need. Um, and the fact that 80% of us might lean to the negative. Well, so what? Who cares? So we're just a bunch of pessimistic, maybe a little bit gloomy kind of people. How does that really affect someone? 
That is a great question, Bonnie. I've, I've seldom gotten that question. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Your brain, the hypothalamus in your brain, which controls stress, it is the, um, it is the engineer of your stress paradigm, the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus is constantly scanning, just like a cell phone for a signal. It's constantly scanning for either a love-based signal or a fear-based signal. And, and that's, not from the, that's not from the outside world, by the way. That's from your own memories, okay? And thoughts and emotions, not external, internal. Now, external can be a trigger, but the internal is what the hypothalamus is scanning for. So if it picks up a fear-based information or signal, which is your reaction to, to whatever's happening in your day, your hypothalamus flips the fight or flight switch. It flips stress on. And it can do that when you are sitting in a beautiful field with flowers all around you and a blue sky and a perfect day, if you think the right thought that's connected to a memory that has something fear-based in it, which can be anger, it can be sadness, it can be rejection, low self-worth, inferiority, superiority, it can be a thousand different things. Those are all fear-based. If it picks up any of those, it will flip on your stress response. And the next question is, okay, well, how long does it stay on for as long as it's picking up that signal? Well, how long is that? 10 minutes? It can be your entire adult life. It can be decades. It can be because, because we tend to think the same things over and over and over and feel the same things over and over and over unless we do something to change it, which most people don't, or the thing they try doesn't do that. But yeah, you're going to keep thinking those things over and over and over, which means your hypothalamus keeps flipping that switch, which, and, and the, the danger of that is the very first thing that happens when the hypothalamus does that is it suppresses your immune system, because that's the number one utilizer of energy in your entire being. Uh, digestion is number two, which is way more than anything else, but that's number one. So I don't believe there is any true healing without healing memories. I sent you an email back in January of this year, um, and it was a section from a book I was reading by Hannah Hernard. Uh, it's called God's Transmitters. She's unpacking in a Christian worldview the power of our thought life. And um, it's worth just reading a little clip. Um, I think it's from chapter two of that book. She writes, more and more clearly, scientists are coming to understand the extraordinary power and range of thought. Our Lord constantly and solemnly emphasized this truth in all his teaching. And now modern scientists are discovering how true this is, and we are challenged with a tremendous assumption that all our thoughts do go forth and touch and influence in some real way the thoughts of others, and that is why they are so important. We don't just inherit, you know, generational sin in terms of um, in the spiritual realm, which we do, but we inherit generational sin in our bodies. We yeah. inherit... The, the energy passed down from our, from our parents and ancestors. So uh, in your book, you talk about the, the popsicle memory or the ice cream memory. Yeah. <laughs> just a wrong memory in, in childhood. That's this random thing that we can interpret wrongly. Can you right. use that one or just another one that's recent, that's helpful to help our listeners understand what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, the popsicle memory came from one client I had and um she was, uh, she called me and she told me her name and she'd been referred by a previous client of mine. And she said, I don't know if you can help me or not, because I don't, I don't really think I have a health issue. She said, mine is more success failure. And she said, I have 180 IQ. 
I graduated at the top of my class from an Ivy League school, uh, Magna, you know, all that stuff. Then, then went to graduate school, finished top in her class at graduate school, and articles had literally been written in uh, financial trade journals that she was going to be the next mover and shaker on Wall Street because she just thought that way and she was a genius in that area. But it never happened. And she said, every time I get close to it, I do something stupid to sabotage my own success. She said, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't want to do it. I don't intend to do it but I do it every single time. And she said, I've been to counseling. I've taken drugs. I've taken, taken corporate training programs. Nothing gets it. And um, so anyway, uh, I started working with her and we found where it was coming from. And it, it was coming from a memory when she was five years old. It was lunchtime uh, on a summer day. And her mom had called she and her sister in for lunch and her mom told her, honey, your sister's already had a good lunch. When you have a good lunch, you can have a popsicle too. Her sister was eating a popsicle, but she'd already had lunch. And the mom, and as far as my client could remember, her mom even said it kindly, honey, you know, um, and that was the memory that, in her words, had ruined her life. Now, how is that possible? Because the mom did nothing wrong. No one did anything wrong in that memory. Honestly, they didn't. Um, so, you know, did the mom get mad and throw a popsicle at her and hit her in the eye? No, no, nothing, none of that. None of that. But here's what happened. She was five years old, and up until you're about six, eight, ten years old, well, no, not ten, probably about six, you're in delta, theta, brainwave state. We have five brain states, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. The first five or six years of life are the only time you live in delta, theta, brainwave state. No other time in your life do you do that. What does that mean? When you're in delta theta brainwave state, you don't have the ability to logic and filter what happened. Like, oh, Renee said that, but I know Renee. She didn't mean anything bad by that. No, I can't do that. If you say something when I'm five, I, I don't have the ability to logic that that way. I think, oh, Renee must be mad at me. You know, uh, even if you say it kindly sometimes, all right? So here's what happened in her. When her mom told her that, here's what went on in her five-year-old mind. If my mom gives my sister a popsicle and won't give me one, it must mean my mom loves my sister more than me. That's the big one. Number two, if my mom loves my sister more than me, there must be something wrong with me. And number three, if there's something wrong with me, then when I get out here in the world, I'm going to fail because I'm defective. That's five-year-old thinking. And if people say they love me, they're going to be lying. Because if anyone ever should have loved me, it should have been mom, and she didn't. Now, to, to infer those things from what her mom did and said to us seems ridiculous, but not to a five-year-old. So... It, so, uh, I mean, if you're hearing this, you may have traumas in your life where honestly horrible, terrible things happen that you're still trying to not let that rule your life with fear or anger or, or whatever it is. But if you're listening to this, I guarantee you, you've got popsicle memories where nobody did anything wrong, but it's literally... Your, your unconscious mind acts toward that memory as if it's a major trauma. And when it's reactivated, you, yeah, you're, you're with me, right? The hypothalamus flips your stress switch on the basis of that popsicle memory. What in the world happened? How did this happen? 
you have no idea. So Alex, that's terrifying as a parent, because I, I guarantee you moms are sitting here listening to this going, I'm messing my kids. I know I'm messing my kids up. And so you're telling me I'm going to mess my kids up with a popsicle memory. And I probably have my own popsicle memories. And how am I supposed to know? What do you say to that? Yeah, the answer to both of those is right. You, you may be messing them up, but you're not trying to. And, and, and here's the good news. All of that can heal. And, and the fastest way for it to heal is the easiest thing. We all learned it in kindergarten. I'm sorry. Mm. I am so sorry. And ladies and gentlemen, it does not have to be within seven days of when the event happened. It can be within 70 years of when the event happened. It is never too late for that. And no matter when that happens, it will be healing. Now, it may need some other help too, but I guarantee you that will be healing. It will create a release in that person that nothing else will create. Simply, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. That simple. But there are, there's some other things to help too. If I'm listening to this for the first time, I'm like, and what else? Like, how do you heal a memory like that? I mean, I'm sure you could talk to this very high powered, talented, genius woman and go, well, that's not true. But like, that's not good enough because obviously she's figuring this out with you. What's next? Yeah. Well, I think there's several things. I think, um, I think kindness is huge. Forgiveness is the biggest issue on the planet. I mean, with and it's and it's almost the biggest issue with every single person. You you can almost just pick anybody in the world, and their biggest issue is going to be an unforgiveness issue. Now that's not a hundred percent, but it's probably over ninety. So forgiveness, kindness is huge. Kindness is the is such a simple thing to do that makes such a big difference. Um, gratitude and thankfulness is huge. Uh, looking at what you have versus what you want is huge and appreciating what you have. Um, there's a wonderful therapy that was created by a doctor named William Glasser um, many decades ago. It's called reality therapy. And it's the best thing I've ever seen for, wor for, working, for parents working with children and trying to shift them from negative to positive. And uh, you can Google that and, and you'll find it all day long, but it's basically coming up with a, um, a system of guidelines that you both agree to that takes the parent out of being the bad guy. And that's the biggest danger is that the parent becomes the bad guy. Why is that a danger? Because you need the parent to be a good guy. Or, I mean, I, I'm from the South. I say guy, and that means <laughs> men and women. I apologize yes. for that. But, but, but you need the parent to be the good person that you want to go to for help. Well, the problem is, if you see them as the bad person or the, or the enemy that's trying to keep you from your happiness and what you want, then you don't go to them. Who do you go to? You go to your friends. And they're usually the ones that get you in trouble, okay? So we need the parent to be the good guy again instead of the bad guy. And reality therapy will absolutely do that. It'll take the parent from the bad guy role to the good guy role. And um, it'll also help the child understand that, that needing to have a certain behavior is not just mom and dad being mean and making rules. It's the better way to live. And, um, and I recommend it even for adults, especially like a, a committed relationship, because it takes the other person out of being the bad guy, which is such a huge problem when trying to reconcile two people or, or, or children or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, those things, they are scary, and I believe all of us have been both guilty of doing them, and we've received them, okay? But they can absolutely heal, 
I've never seen a situation where they couldn't heal. How did you do this with your boys? You and Hope have two boys. I'm sure you knew this at the time. Like, give me a for example that's a neutral kind of simple. This reality therapy, this this taking it, or maybe you didn't have to do reality therapy with them. But you know, you got a two year old. You can't. They got You got to say no. Don't touch the stove. Stop. <laughs> you gotta. Yeah. You gotta say yeah. like, don't run out in the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you come up with a set of guidelines that you both agree to. And and let's use the example of like um, social and screen stuff because that is such a big problem today. Um, by the way, that same doctor who I was referencing earlier in that interview, he said that um, when uh, families come to him with children, they're having problems with their children and they approach him and say, basically, can I get um Adderall or something like that for my child because they're having these problems and I'm guessing it's ADHD or something like that and um and he said you know he tells them well okay we can discuss that and I'm willing to do that in certain situations but what I suggest first if you're willing to try it is let's do 90 days with um less than three hours every day of screens and social. And he said, if they will agree to that, they never come back. The problem mm -hmm. goes away. Okay. But back to reality therapy, if they're doing, um, if they're doing, um, let's say it's about, okay, you can't, you can't do more than three hours of any kind of screen stuff or social in a day. Um, then what you do is if they comply with that, at the end of a week or a month or whatever you decide the time period is, then they get a reward, something they really want, a new game or um, going to the amusement park or, or going to their favorite restaurant and they can order whatever they want or an extra hour on some day or just something that they want. And if they, if they don't comply, they do more than three hours, there's a consequence, okay? Which may be no screens for three days or something like that. And the key, the key is the parent's attitude, okay? So when the, when the kid complies, man, you become the head cheerleader. Yay, I'm so proud of you. That is fantastic. You are the best kid in the world. We are... We're going to go get that reward right now. And, you know, I'm, I thank you so much. That means so much to me. And, and just, you know, make them feel fabulous, okay? But here's the bigger key. If they don't comply, you are still kind. You are never unkind, okay? So if they don't comply, it's, oh, honey, I am so sorry. Oh man, that that man, I hate that. I I was I was already making plans to go to the restaurant Tuesday night and you could order whatever you want or or whatever the thing was. And and I'm so sorry, but you I guess that means for the next 3 days you're going to have to not do screens. And um and 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 that may be a point you're thinking, ah, well this is the weakness in this because they're going to no matter what they've agreed to in advance, they're going to rebel at that. They might at first, but the key is staying kind, okay? And really and really getting across to them so that they believe it. I am hurt because you didn't get that reward. I wanted you to have that reward, and I still do, and let's get it next time. You, you've got to convince them that you feel bad that they're going to have a consequence, okay? Because so many times what kids get from parents in that situation is this stern, angry parent. You know, we talked about how they're in Delta Theta brainwave state. Well, they can't logic or filter that either. So what they get is, I'm not, I'm not, I don't measure up. I'm not a good kid. I'm 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 a bad kid. 
And now they're in all this internal pain, but they don't feel like they can come to you for it because you're the bad guy in the first place. So they end up going to friends who sometimes give them terrible advice. And now they start doing all kinds of crazy stuff because they're mad at you because you're mad at them and their friends seem the safe place. As a parent, you just shot yourself in the foot by your attitude toward your own child and the way you handled that situation. So if you're a parent listening to this, the last thing in the world I would want, I would want from you hearing this is to beat yourself up. Your kid doesn't need a beat up you. Your kid needs a healthy, strong you, but one that is kind and one that they believe is their advocate, one that they believe is in their corner, one that they believe I can go to mom or dad about anything because they are always kind and supportive of me. That's what you want. And, and you know what? It's not going to make a huge difference in their, probably in their behavior when they're five, six, seven, eight. The place this really pays off is when they get to 13, 14, 15, and they feel like they can still come to you rather than their friends. And they can trust what you're saying. They know you care. So they're going to come to you. Now, they may go to their friends too, but if they believe and know that you care, they're going to come to you too. And you're going to have an opportunity to steer them in a good direction. I think um, a lot of times when parents react the way that you described with a stern, angry um, demeanor and kind of a knee-jerk reaction, one, you already mentioned it because that's that's where we came from and that's how we learned it. <laughs> um, but also because we too are reacting, a lot of things, a lot of the emotions of our children are triggering our own um, popsicle memories, if yeah. you will. Um, so you have uh, a child who's disappointed or a child who is angry or rebellious at you, and that is triggering something in you, generally, that you have not dealt with and you have not healed. So your own emotional regulation is off. So you can't possibly model it to your child if your own uh, house is not in order. So Renee and I are, I mean, what we say all the time, you need to take care of your own house and your own self, know yourself and what's in there before you try to dish that out on your children who are just, I mean, they're just bebopping along in life trying to figure it out, right? You're the grown up, So you got to get your own stuff in order um, and heal your own memories. Yeah, and Bonnie, that is brilliant, and you're absolutely right. And and I don't hear hardly anyone who's who's not a psychologist say stuff like that, but you just did, and and thank you for that. And um, one thing that seems a little Mickey Mouse, but it, it's so simple and basic, but it it works. If you get upset at your child before you talk to them. Go in your bathroom, close the door, turn on all the lights, and get real close to the mirror, and talk in the mirror like you intend to talk to your child, and ask yourself the question, do I come across as kind and supportive, or do I come across as angry and unsupportive? And it can be a little shocking, actually, when you do that. But it can it can sort of be you're kicking the rear a little bit to behave differently toward your own child if you do that first. So you might try that if you never have. Oh, that's so that's a good word right there. Because, um, you know, I mean, we've talked on here, Bonnie, before, you know, how God gave me Emma and I was like, I'm not even raising my voice. I, I'm not even, I'm not, she's, why is she crying when I'm just speaking to her? Well, that was my responsibility to learn how to change my tone, change my way I communicate with her so that she could hear me and not feel attacked. I think it's really helpful. The premise of the love code and the premise of the memory code. So the love code um, if I were going to describe that book in one sentence to a friend, I would say it just teaches you to live in love 
for the next 30 minutes, which as a mom is a really helpful exercise because you are living 10 minutes to 10 minutes to 15 minutes with all these little people in your life. And then the memory code, how you're able to take a memory and kind of, um, well, understand the truth about it and understand the lies that you've been telling yourself because of it. Because I think our moms need to, to have a glimpse of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the love code is, is kind of centered around an exercise that I developed again in ministry. Um, and, um, one of my favorite childhood stories was Aladdin and his magic lamp. And I love that story. I would ask to be read that over and over and over. And I'll never forget one day, um, I think it was in the summer and I was bored and I loved imagining. And um, so I was thinking about that story and I went up into the attic where all, all the junk was and found the closest thing I could find to something that looked like Aladdin's lamp. It didn't look like it, but it was the closest thing I could find. And I literally, I grew up in a small town, about 5,000 people. And um, I literally walked all over town holding that lamp, rubbing it and pretending like the genie came out and I was making a wish, okay? And that's really where the love code came from. And the premise of it is imagine that scenario. Imagine you're in a locked room and maybe even all the blinds closed, but meaning no one is ever going to know what happens in this room except you. And in this room, uh, an angel, a genie, Aladdin's genie, whatever, appears to you and says, I will give you one wish, not three, one. And it can be almost anything that you want. You can't wish for more wishes. Uh, and you can't make a wish that would take away someone else's free will. But about anything else, you wish it, you got it. But the genie tells you, you have to make your wish within 10 seconds or you lose it forever. And you will never have this opportunity again. This is the only time in your life you will have this opportunity. What do you wish for? And I literally do a countdown, 10, 9, 8, 7, and then say, okay, time's up. What do you wish for? All right. And I've done that simple little exercise hundreds of times all over the world. I, I don't know how many people. It's got to be in the hundreds of thousands at least. And the simple truth is that 99% of people give the wrong answer to that question. That's make me think of a quote by Hannah Hernard, which um, is that all real desire in our hearts or our will is prayer because God looks on the thoughts of the heart and sees what our real desires are. It's the things which we really want and not necessarily the things that our mouths are saying that we want. That's the real prayer that God perceives. And that's a sobering thought. Yeah. But continue on. We got to know. Well, what what's the wrong answer? I thought that it's just whatever you wish for. It is, but it's an exercise to see what will you answer. And the wrong answer is, is wishing for something re related to your physical and external circumstances. Because that's not causal. That is, that is what happens from the cause. Okay, what is causal is your internal thoughts, memories, emotions, feelings, beliefs, and what you choose as your next behavior. Okay, that's what's causal, and all of that is internal. So, if your answer to that question, when you do that simple little exercise, is anything in your physical or external circumstances, then you are headed down the wrong path in your life. You're headed down a path that's going to take you to more and more fear, sometimes uh, dis great disappointments. You may make a lot of money, and that's what the majority of people wish for. And, and most of them, when I've done this like in a public 
setting where someone like, you know, raises their hand and everyone can hear their answer, the great majority of the time, it's, I would wish for a hundred million dollars or, you know, something like that. Um, the right answer is spiritual. It's love, joy, peace, self-worth, acceptance, humility, self-control, those kind of things. Those are those are the things we should be living for and by as our kind of, uh, you know, sometimes if you go bowling these days, and especially if you're a little kid, they'll put the bumpers up in the gutter, in the alley, where the kid can't throw a gutter ball. It'll bounce back and forth 20 times, but it will hit pins and knock them down. Well, the spiritual is supposed to be our gutter guards that keep us on the right path of love and truth. When we start getting in our head, money, 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 and physical and external circumstances, that's when we get into fear and anxiety and stress and, and that sort of thing. And it doesn't mean you don't earn a living and take care of your family, but you do that from a place of love and truth, not from being focused on money which will drive anybody crazy. It, it'll Just try it sometime. Focus on money for about an hour and see. Uh, you can literally take your pulse before and take your pulse after. And almost every single time, your pulse will be significantly higher after an hour of thinking about money, which is not great for you, Renee, because your husband's in the money business. I was but, just thinking that. <laughs> but, but that's different. That's different because he can do it as a business in love and truth instead of him being focused all the time just yeah. on the outcome of money. And, and, and by the way, I've had conversations with your husband, David, and I think that's exactly what he does. So yay for him. Most people don't do that. But um, and then the uh, the memory the memory code is sort of how to re-engineer a memory that has a falsehood or lie in it that is causing stress. And uh, it's six steps, and it's it's basically trying to balance out the that ten to one negative at, to where you're not. 80% negative all the time and 50% of what you're thinking about your life is in error. It's trying to get you to love and truth as your north for not only your your spiritual life, but your body. I mean, if, if we are in a place of love and joy and peace, our stress response disappears. It disappears. And when your stress response disappears, your immune system comes up like King Kong. And, and you almost can't get sick. So it's the way we're built. We're not built to be focused on that stuff that much. We're built to be in health if we're focused on spiritual things, truth, joy, peace, et cetera. So sound a lot like the fruits of the spirit. It's kind of funny. You've mentioned kindness. You've mentioned joy, truth. Um, self-control. I'm hearing all these fruits of the spirit and gee, I wonder where all of this originates from. I wonder where all this comes from. And uh, from our worldview, that's kind of a no-brainer. It's uh, the way God created the world, the way he created us to work, the way he created us to join and draw near to him is the answer to <laughs> the world's sickness and the world's ills and the anxiety and the depression and all of the things. And he wants to show you where your lies should become truth. And he wants to show you uh, where healing is and where your memories are are false. They're false. Um, that he maybe was there all along when you think you've been abandoned and he was there all along when you were rejected. And um, there's some just beautiful memories and transformations that can take place um, when you're reading through these books and doing these uh, techniques that you suggest that you know, memories will just come up, unexpected, weird kind of memories that you just think, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Like the popsicle thing, that surely that can't mean anything. And then, yeah, you, you chew on it a little bit and you maybe talk to a few people here and there and then the dots just sort of get connected. It makes a big difference in how you're um, perceiving life. Yeah, and your stress response too. Would you agree with that, Renee? 
Totally. I was thinking the first time I started doing some of Alex's techniques, the very first time, the very first time I did it four immediately, like, like a slideshow, four memories from childhood popped up like a screen in front of me and they were shame filled, shame filled. And I was able to ask God, what's the truth about those memories? And the truth was, I wasn't remembering wrongly, Alex. The truth was like, I did those shameful things as a kid that the truth is Jesus's blood covers them. They're dealt with. I'm holding on to them. God's not holding on to them. And I would tell you, you know, I would tell you, I tell all kinds of crazy things on this podcast. I cannot remember them. They're gone. They're gone, gone. Well, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached is um, Matthew 5 and other places. And what Jesus did is he turned it all upside down. When we think of being happy, we think, we tend to think, I mean, the average person of being wealthy, being beautiful or handsome, being powerful, being highly regarded in the world, you know, that sort of thing. And that tends to be our ideals that we shoot for. Well, here comes Jesus. And in the original language, the word blessed means happy. So Jesus gives his take on happy. And what is it? Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those when people say bad things about you and ridicule you. I mean, they had to be listening to him on that hillside thinking, what? Are you crazy? But he was absolutely right. All those things come from living a life of love and truth. And the things that make us unhappy come from the physical and external circumstances by and large. And um, if we could just learn that, okay, everything in my life is going to go better if I live this way. Everything in my life is going to go worse if I live this way. And realize that probably the way you're living is the worst way. Well, switch, switch, start living the other way. Yeah, it's so true. I um I love it when God repeats a message. I've been pondering that Matthew 5 passage, Alex, and that the poor in spirit, the blessed are the poor in spirit, happy are the poor in spirit. That poor in spirit, that that actually means like bent over, like a beggar who's hunched over, bent over, and the result of that is that position is mourning and then you're right where God wants you. Because right. you are open, you're open to your desperate need for the love of Jesus. Yeah. And you're not open to the, when you're, when you're prideful, the, what's the imagery we get of pride in scripture is, is puffed up, right? A puffed up chest and standing up tall and I've got this and I can do it. And so if you're listening to this moms and you're feeling bent over, like, oh my goodness, I've missed it. I've missed it. Take heart because you're right where God wants you. You're right where he wants you because you are open to receive his love and then pour his love out on your family and do what Alex said, ask for forgiveness, repent to your family, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. It's a guarantee uh, in scripture. And so I just love this stuff. I think that um, what you do, Alex, the work you do with energy psychology is What's described in scripture? It's in Proverbs 25, and it says, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. You're just figuring out part of the way God made us to work, part of the way that God's world works, and it's it's phenomenal. As Bonnie said, it's described in scripture over and over again. Very accessible. I would say it's very accessible, and if you're curious about this at all, I urge you to go ahead and get the... Um, the healing code. It's very easy to do. Anybody can do it. And it's easily described. You can read. It's a quick read. Um, even if you're not a big reader, you can get through it and and then follow it up with the love code and the memory code. They're just, yeah. And Alex Scott has a great podcast himself. If you want more of this information, yeah, it's just oh, totally. easily accessible.
One last testimonial, because I can't stop talking. We taught, my husband and I taught a spiritual disciplines class at church. Richard Foster's The Spirit of the Disciplines, it's 12 disciplines. So there's internal ones, external ones, communal ones. And in the interest of not being a hypocrite, we always went home and tried them, right? <laughs> Before we teach them. And I just could not meditate. Like, it was just beyond me. I'd get wiggly. I couldn't sit. I did not want to sit with the things that, the thoughts that came to my mind when I got still. And I started doing some of these techniques that, um, of energy psychology that Alex shared. And he was a trusted guide because he's a Christian as well. And I thought, okay, I know him. He's not going to lead me down a wrong path intentionally. And so it was like, hey, I'll just try it. And would you know that I was at my, it was like my fight or flight was switched on Alex all the time. And once I was able to switch out of fight or flight and just calm my central nervous system, I can sit with the Lord. I can meditate. I can contemplate. I can get curious about myself and not feel massive amounts of anxiety and shame. Wow. <laughs> wow. So we do this to like say, don't do it when you're 52 moms, go ahead, jump in there when you're 20, 25, 30, you got a whole lot less to unpack. Yeah. And I wanted to add that somebody that we are good friends with, um, who has kind of walked this road with us, who, who, you know, Alex was in our, a small group of us that was trying this stuff out. Um, she's got some little kids and one of them just went to school. Uh, I think it was just this year and had an incident at school where, um, some boys were getting into some shenanigans and her son stood up and was like, Hey guys, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't throw this in the gym. They told us not to. And they all kind of surrounded him and were starting to bully him and call him names and throw things at him. And he, he was the target. Then he became the target and he came home and, um, you know, how was your day, honey? Well, this was the story. Well, this is what happened in the gym. And he's probably what, five, six. Yeah. He's very young. And instead of just, oh gosh, well, that's really too bad. I'm sorry. Those, those kids were just mean. Just don't be friends with them anymore. Which a lot of us might've just left it at that. She walked him through this, um, this whole scenario of, Hey, let's look at that. What did that really make you feel like? And what, what did you think about yourself in that moment? And she walked him through all that as a child, um, to take, make sure there was no popsicle memory <laughs> there, um, even at five or six. So, because he had already assigned meaning to all of that. Well, this is what it must mean. They replaced all those lies with the truth, you know? Okay. One and done. We're done. And I was like, I, you know, if I had had it to do over again with my own children, how many times I could have gone back to those meaningless, quote unquote, simple little moments and memories that they had, things that they said when they came home from school that you could have undone right then and yeah. prevented decades of all of and, this. And Bonnie, you know, the other thing about that, that's a great point. The other thing about that is that child who she did that with, there's a really good chance that when she did that, she taught the child how to do it and the next time it happens at six seven eight fifteen twenty five he'll remember he or she will remember that and say okay wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute mom did this with me once let me take that apart what am i feeling is that the truth or is it not at, at you're kind of pulling it apart um and it loses its power when you pull it apart and she, she may have changed that child's life for the rest of his life in however long that took her to do, 30 minutes, an hour, I don't know. But what is that 30 minutes or hour worth if that kid learned how to do that themselves for the rest of their lives from that? Oh, my goodness. They're not going to be coming to see me, I guarantee right. Alex, I'm like, well, she just saved him like hundreds and thousands of dollars of whatever kind of therapy is on the scene in 20 more yeah. years. <laughs> That's right. They did. That's right. That's brilliant. Since you brought up the Bible stuff, I can't contain myself. Probably the two things that have helped me the most in my own life and struggle, which has been tremendous. I was 
uh, I'm dyslexic. I was ADHD. I finished last academically in my high school class. And I can't tell you how difficult that was for me. But there was this guy named Paul who set, who had two situations that absolutely could have been written virtually word for word about Alex Lloyd. And the first one was in Romans 7, where he says, I do not understand my own behavior. I mean, first of all, it's hard to imagine Paul saying that, or any of the apostles, for that matter, but he did. I don't understand my own behavior. Well, how many of you can relate to that? I sure can. And then he goes on. What I do is not what I want to do, but what I do is what I don't want to do, and I do it over and over and over. Can anybody besides me relate to that? Okay, so there's the problem. What's the solution? All right, next, next in that same passage. When this happens, it is not me doing it. Oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding. I remember doing it one minute ago. But Paul is saying to God in his miracle plan of love through Jesus and his grace, that to God in his book, that book of life, you did not do it. Oh my goodness, that's, that's incredible. And, and I don't want to deceive anybody. He goes on and says what it is. It's sin living in me. It's not me, but it's in me. Like a splinter is in you, okay? So think of your sin that way. It's not you. You would never say, I am a splinter that's in my finger. You'd say, I have a splinter. Well, that's what Paul says about sin. It is not, it's in you, but not you. And God forgives it. That's what his grace is all about. And then the second one is still Paul. And he asked God three times for some big problem he had to be taken away. He doesn't say what it was. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. But it, he says about it that it torments him every day. That's the word he used, it torments. That's the same word for torture. So you're talking about massive pain here. And he asked God to take it away. And God says, no. But why does he say no? This is unbelievable to me. He basically says, I don't take it away, Paul, because I love you so much. It's good for you. It's helping you. It's strengthening you. In fact, he says, you're going to learn my grace through this. But, but it's also not from God because it says it was a messenger of Satan that was responsible for that in his life, okay? So God allowed it, but it was not God doing it. And God used that for something good in Paul's life. And your sin, yeah, you don't want to keep sinning, okay? No one does. Well, not many. But instead of the guilt and shame, be thankful and grateful because God, if you'll let him, is going to use that for your good and to make you better and better and better. And in another place, Paul said, from glory to glory to glory, higher levels of relationship with God and love and truth and all that. So those, those two things saved my life, literally, when I thought Alex Lloyd was the, the dunce and the refuse of the world. And knowing that the great Apostle Paul struggled with those things, let me kind of, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe, Maybe I'm not beyond hope. So anyway, I needed to share that. Sorry. That's so good. No, I'm so glad you did. Yeah. If you ever think you're beyond hope, that's not a, that's not a God thought. 
That's never a God thought. As Annie Lobert at the School of Christian Thought said, who used to be, um, who was kidnapped and sex trafficked for years, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. As far as I know, he's the only being in the universe that is love. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. not true of me. I don't think it's true of any of us. We do love sometimes. He is love. Mm -hmm. So good. And that's what we want to, that's our responsibility as parents, just to kind of put a bow on it. You know, we were talking about this, Bonnie and I, what a heavy responsibility it feels like to um, be the go-between for your child and God in those early years to show your child what authority looks like in loving ways. Um, and to, yeah, help them feel like we love you no matter what. Um, you can't do anything to make us not love you. And we want you to live your best life with those bumpers <laughs> over those gutters. So when you, when you mess up, you can bounce. You can bounce back. Though I fall seven times, I'll rise again. That's the righteous, right? Though the righteous fall seven times, they'll get up again. That's what we want for our kids. So good. We knew we'd be on a on a winding journey with you, Alex. So we went all over the place. Sorry. <laughs> it was good. It was so good. So good. Thank you. Thanks for taking your time out to join us today. We so appreciate it. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you incredible two ladies. And we're going to have links to all of the information that we talked about uh, in today's show notes and on our website, justaskyourmom.com. Uh, also look for us on Facebook and Instagram and you can rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family, especially this one, because so many people need to hear it. They do. And if you have questions about this episode and send them in to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com, as well as any ideas for future episodes. But I bet you got some questions after you listen to this today. We dangled some carrots out there. So send us your questions. We'll see if we can get Alex to answer them. <laughs> All right. And we'll see you next time on just, just ask your mom. mom.